morning. Our reading today is from Ephesians chapter 5. But among you there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. Well, our survey of the book of Philippians brings us ultimately to this text, which I've called appropriately enough, Money, Sex, and God. These are three of the most deeply personal and important topics of our life. Would you agree? Who of us really wants to talk about the truth about our money or about the truth about our sexuality? or even, if we're really honest, about the truth about our feelings about God. So because this is such a deeply personal and, and important it, uh, subject and, and touches the very heart of our lives, I begin with some very personal stories. I hope we know one another well enough for that. For example, some time ago, our accountant called us with some very bad news. Steve, she said, I think that maybe you and Donna should consider either filing for bankruptcy or selling your home in a short sale or both. I was dumbfounded by this. I knew that things were tough and hard and that the economy had us, given us a blow in the gut and we didn't know how it was going to... And I had spent many sleepless nights worrying about these sorts of things, but were things really that desperate? You see, we had moved into our current home in October just uh, of 2007, just before two calamities came together, the crash of the housing market and a precipitous decline in our own income. So we had been faithfully making our house payment, hoping that the market would rebound before the money ran out, but the money had long run out and the credit card debt was there to prove it. Can any of you relate to what I'm saying? Don't raise your hand because this is a personal subject, right? Only me gets to be truthful here. <laughs> So we met with a bankruptcy attorney, and he looked at our stuff, and he confirmed what our con accountant had said, and 
Um, so we had a very, very hard set of decisions to make. What were we going to do? Now, I knew on the one hand that bankruptcy, and this is important for us to understand, that bankruptcy is an appropriate decision for Christians. It's rooted deep in the Old Testament practice of forgiving debts every seven years. Do you know the Old Testament economy was set up so that every seven years land went to its original owner? It's the, it's the history, it's the background to the uh, the bankruptcy laws that exist in our culture, in Western culture. I had talked with friends and church family in the past and encouraged them with this truth many times and, that, and let them know that God himself had instituted a plan to ensure that families were not enslaved by a mountain of debt. But was this the right decision for us? We stood about it, talked to friends about it, prayed about it for months before finally deciding that we would do our best to avoid taking that drastic step. And now, thanks to, you know, a loan modification, we're on our way to financial solvency. We're still, honestly, in a precarious place, but there's light at the end of the tunnel, and we're feeling hopeful and enthusiastic about our future. But I'm not at all wanting to minimize the gravity of how money had become a huge, and still honestly is for us, just to be perfectly frank about it. That's one story. Money, sex, and God. Okay. Second story. For as long as I can remember, I have struggled to balance my sexuality and my spirituality. Can any of you relate to that? Well, don't raise your hand. <laughs> now, I was never intimate with anyone before our wedding night, and I've never been intimate with any other person since, but I have carried with me a lifelong battle with lust in its various forms. As far as I know, I'm like every other guy in this respect. We just don't like to talk about it much, but I think it's true. But my struggles are real, and I do not always win this battle. I've watched movies I shouldn't have watched. I've seen pictures I shouldn't have seen. I've surfed sites I should not have surfed. I can go months and years with, with freedom in this area, but the moment I give in to some of these things, they wrap their tentacles around me, sucking the life out of me, leaving me gasping for air. And if you well, I want to ask if you can relate. I wish with all my heart that this were never so for me, but that's the truth of my life. Money, sex, and God. How about a story about that? I love Jesus with all my heart. Ever since I was a small child, I have wanted to obey him, to follow him, to serve him, to make a difference for him. I can never remember not wanting to do that. But sometimes Jesus makes me so angry and so confused that if I could, I would like to just walk away. Mostly I feel this when I pray. I have a dozen or more notebooks filled with more than three decades of earnest prayers to God. Some of them are deeply moving, hard for me to even read. And I can say that my most powerful experiences with Jesus are recorded there. But were you to look at those notebooks, you would see also some evidences of deep disappointment, feelings of abandonment, frustration, when it feels to me like I'm crying out to a God who is not paying attention. Sins I want to be free from. Sicknesses I want to be healed. Wisdom I desperately crave. Help in preparing a sermon answered <laughs> Only by silence sometimes. God, are you even there? I love Jesus with all my heart, but 
Sometimes I'm just not sure I even like him. <laughs> Money, sex, and God. Why do I tell you these things? I tell you because, well, these are the things that our text talks about today. So we need to talk about it too. And because I explore these issues with you, not as an expert standing on a platform, having figured all of this out, I don't like when people do that to me. I don't believe them. <laughs> I share with you as a fellow struggler, a guy who wants to use money without becoming a, a used by money, a guy who wants to enjoy the sexuality God's given to me without becoming enslaved to that, a guy who wants to love Jesus without becoming angry and bitter, a guy who... Uh, who's working his life through these things. I share that with you, and I know and I believe that each of you, to one degree or another, can identify with those struggles. And if you can't, well, <laughs> that's what you're going to get here. <laughs> it's just the truth, okay? So we're going to consider this topic, which Ryan read for us, and thank you for doing that, Ryan, under, under three, uh, three, basic, three basic headings. We're going to talk about the importance of purity, the principles of purity, and the practices of purity. The importance of purity, the principles of purity, and the practices uh, of purity. Well, let's talk about, first of all, money, sex, and God, the importance of purity. We see this in chapter 5, verses 3 to 7. I see my picture is a little bit bigger than my screen, isn't it? Um, But in any case, Money and sex and God, the importance of purity. Remember, the Apostle Paul has been telling us how that God is creating a brand new kind of people. He's breaking through the stranglehold that, uh, that, that the culture has on us that makes us less than the beautiful human beings we are meant to be. And he's trying to help us to be people of hope amid a culture of despair. And we would see that in this case, three of the things, uh, in fact, three of the most important things in our culture today are money and sex and power. And these, of course, relate to money and sex and God, because who is God but the source of all power? So Marx wrote about money, and uh, Freud wrote about sex, and Nietzsche wrote about power. Knowledge is power, and these are fundamental to our life today, and they're as ancient as the first century when the Apostle Paul wrote this text. So if we're going to follow God and be the people, the new creation God wants us to be, we've got to have a good handle on these issues of money and sex and power as it, of course, relates to God. So let's look at the summary of what the Apostle Paul uh, wrote in this text. The summary of what the Apostle Paul wrote in this text. He said, first of all, there is to be no hint of sexual... uh, You can go through, Kurt, it should have all come up. That whole slide should come up, I think. Um, there should be no hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint of sexual in- immorality. It's the word pornea. It's, it's the word really from which we get the word uh, pornography, but it really doesn't mean that. It means fornication, which is the old-fashioned uh, word for sex outside the boundaries of marriage. The truth of the matter is we are not living a fully human life to the degree God meant for us to uh, experience it. If we experience sexual relationships anywhere outside of a committed relationship between a man and a woman for life. This is a, an abused reality in our culture today, even among Christians. Christians uh, so often uh, feel as though um, God's expectations in this regard are out of date and don't fit in with the times and unimportant today, but that's the truth of it. He says, not even a hint of sexual 
immorality. There's one place for the sexual relationship to experience, and it's to be experienced between a man and a woman who have publicly and personally committed their lives to God and to one another for the rest of their lives. Any other setting for that intimate relationship is living a less than human life. He says not even a hint of that. He also says no, nor any kind of impurity. This, feels, this speaks not just about the sex act itself, but other kinds of impurity. It would include such things as lust, even though that word's not used here. Um, other kind, adultery or pornography, all these kinds of impurity that attach themselves to the sexual relationship. No, that's not to be a part of our life. And then he goes on to say something that seems maybe a little out of a character, or of greed. What's this? He's speaking about money. Uh, or another version would say covetousness, of wanting things that other people have. So here we see uh, money is coming into this. There ought to be no greed occurring um, um, in our lives, the continual desire to have more. And he goes on to say that we should, uh, uh, neither, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. These are some sort of catch-all terms. Uh, uh, obscenity, in another version, talks about as filthiness. And we can sometimes just uh, glorify filthiness. And that's what's frustrating for me because most, most uh, stand-up humor is basically about filthiness, isn't it? You know, I enjoy watching. You know, I'm a Letterman fan myself, and I... Um, you know, and I, but I enjoy watching late night talk shows, and yet it, 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 it makes me feel, oh, what, a, all this filthy talk that skirts on the boundaries and the innuendo and suggestion, all of that, these are not helpful for us. They minimize the beautiful sexuality that God has given to us. Um, and obscenity, yeah, it's true. Christians should speak cleanly and not use uh, um, filthy language or cord, coarse joking or crude joking, some verses call it. You see, Christians are meant to live differently. Christians are called to respect these gifts that God has given to us. And we joke about them coarsely and crudely and filthily. We'd minimize, uh, just as if you were to say something like that about your daughter or your wife. Why would you say that if you respect that person? And why should we say that kind of thing, that kind of joking, that kind of, of course, laughter, making fun of, making light of, uh, ogling after, all those kinds of things. They minimize this beautiful thing that God is. So this is the summary, okay? What's the reason? The reason is that we belong to God. We are God's new creation, God's holy people. He says, um, uh, um, because these are improper for God's holy people. Is it because sex and money are evil things, bad things? No, it's because these things can take the place of God in our lives and that our lives are dehumanized when this happens. That's why, that's what it hints at when it says, these are improper for God's holy people. We belong to God. We are his new creation. It really, uh, it, the, the literal translation of that says, where it says uh, God's holy people is, is really as is proper among saints. That's the literal translation. Don't be this way because uh, it, it's proper among saints. In other words, we're called and set apart for God for a particular purpose. God is wanting to create a, a, an example to the world of what heaven will look like by the way that Christians relate to one another and to their society and to their, their creation. And so we want to 
uh, glorify these beautiful things that God has created by not treating them flippantly or coarsely or abusing them out of the side of the boundaries. of We're called to be a separate people. We belong to God. When we, when we engage in this kind of activity, we, uh, we are not participating in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is not telling us we lose our relationship with God whenever we covet or lust. If that were the case, we'd never know if we were saved. It's saying that these attitudes and actions put us outside the place of God's blessing. Each of us has experienced it to one degree or another, that emptiness that comes when we succumb to lust or that panic we feel when our debts are deeper than our pockets. God wants to protect us from that. He wants us to live within our resources, enjoying his good creation in the boundaries of what makes life work. See, sex and money are valuable servants, but terrible masters. If we let them call the shots in our lives, we'll be miserable, miserable people, and we will less, live less than our full human potential. God wants to set us free from that prison. You can only put your heart in one place. And if you put your heart on God, you can enjoy money and sexuality. But if you put your heart on sexuality, and that's what you're doing when you give in to those behaviors or those attitudes, or put your heart on money, the things that it will uh, buy for you, and that's what you're doing when you, when, when you invest yourself and sacrifice your security for those things, these then now become terrible masters to us. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. He's not trying to uh, be mean to us. He's trying to be helpful to us. He's trying to protect us. Soren Kierkegaard is famous for having written, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And the only thing that truly sets us free is to seek after God. And only seek after God, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. That verse, which we often think about, is directly in the context of a conversation Jesus had about money, about worrying about what we eat or drink or wear, placing our hopes and our treasures and, and things that fade away. No, seek first God's kingdom and Money will find its place. You see, God is trying to protect us from these things because he doesn't want us to become enslaved to them. And each of us either knows or someday will know that it's no fun to be enslaved to money and it's no fun to be enslaved to our sexuality. Jesus wants to set us free from that. So there you have it. That's the importance of purity. Secondly, the principles of purity... Boy, the last thing I want to be doing is laying a lot of guilt and shame on us. That's not helpful to anybody. What are the principles for me that can help me, um, help me live a life of purity in a culture which has forgotten even what the word means? There are six words that we're going to look at. The words are, you were, you are, live as. It's found in Ephesians 5.8. It says there, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You were darkness. You are light. Live as light. The principle here that he's trying to help us to see is to see that we have been made something new in God and that we want to live by that new reality, not by the old reality. 
Let's take a look at it. The first thing we want to do is we want to rem- we need to remember who we were. Remember who we were. For you were once darkness. You were once darkness. This is if you if you remember. I know we've been looking at Ephesians all summer, and it might be easy to forget. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, he speaks, he says, but uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were, uh, well, uh, I'll read it for you. Now that I have my glasses, I can actually read it. As for you, you were dead in your, tra- this is what you were, right? You were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of this kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature objects of wrath. When the apostle Paul writes this in verse 8, he's directly referring to that. He's saying, that's who you were. The point is, that's not who you are. You're not the guy who has to give his last dollar to get something he doesn't really need. That's who you used to be. You're not the guy who has to succumb to that temptation the way you used to succumb to that. That's, that's in the past. That's yesterday. That's an old chapter. It's not who you were, who you are. And sometimes it's important for us to remember, especially if we can remember a time when things were really bad for us. Say, boy, that was bad. <laughs> that was really bad. Oh, that, but that's not me anymore. That's not me. You were once darkness, but that is not who you are. Darkness has no power over you. Now, I know what it's like. I know what it's like when you want that thing you can't afford so bad that you can taste it, and there's a little piece of plastic in your pocket that will help you to get it. You ever been there? It's so easy to pull that thing out and take that thing home, and it's so hard to keep it in my pocket. It feels like it has power over me, but it doesn't. It's a lie. You were. Or perhaps you're in that setting or that situation has come upon you again when you're uh, tempted towards lust or through sexual misbehavior or whatever, and and you remember a day when there was no option. It was going to happen, but that's in the past. That no longer has control we are no darkness no longer has power over you remember who you were and secondly remember who you are you are light in the lord and had we another way of looking at this is to look at it as the contrast between darkness and light it's all the way through this passage you see We are a different person. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ and placed our confidence in him, we have the light of God in our hearts, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts. The creation of light was the most powerful event in the history of the universe. It's what started the universe. Let there be light. And there was light. 2 Corinthians 4 The Apostle Paul saying, that God who did that has put his light in your heart. It is there. You may not believe it, but it's true. Like Keanu Reeves, who knows there's a different reality than the one he lived in, all he had to do was believe it. Right? Neo? The Matrix? 
Huh? Never saw it? All right. I know it's ancient history to you guys. Powerful image. You were living in a cubicle sucking goose junk, right? Now you're living a real life. That old life seemed so real, but it's not. You're alive. You're in the light. You're part of the revolution. You're the ones who see the truth. And yet, there's that one character in The Matrix, and I did not mean to tell you this story, but it came into my head. I think his name was Cypher, who decides to go back, who's sitting before Anderson. No, what, uh, Mr. Anderson, is that his name? Yeah. And he's volunteering to be a traitor to be Judas to his little company, sitting around tasting a steak, and he says, I know this is not real. I know this is not really happening. But it, he doesn't, these are not his words, but it's, you know, we see this the aroma coming up. He sniffs it, and he just has to go back. Has to go back. He does not want the truth. See, that's our dilemma. We know that this is a dead-end street down the street of consumerism and materialism. We know it's a dead-end street down that path of sexuality, impurity, and lust. But boy, does the memory smell good, right? You were in darkness. You are light in the Lord. Oh, I hope that means something to you because it does to me. We're set free from the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians chapter 2, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive through Christ. And to take that matrix image, when Neo, he was made alive. He'd been sleeping his whole life, you see. God has made us alive. You see, we belong to God. We are His people. He is our Father. He has given us His Spirit. We don't have to live that way. So that's why we remember who you, uh, remember who you were, but now remember who you are, and then finally live like who you are. Decide to live on that basis. You cannot get away from the personal responsibility to do the right thing. God will never super... super impose his will over top of yours. You can also, but you have to make a choice. In that moment, you have to make a choice to change the channel, to close the computer, to walk out of the situation, to not sniff the bakery, <laughs> right? To not drive the same way. The battle is usually lost long before we think it's lost. It's lost when the man knows he should not have dinner with lunch with that work associate of his and decides to do it anyway, telling himself nothing will come of it. That attraction is not going to get any further, and he steps into that. It happens long before, long before. Live as children of light. Sex and money are not our masters anymore. No matter how trapped you feel, you are free. It's an illusion. You are free if you have placed your faith in Christ. You've got to think right before you do right. Think right. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, 
Fix your mind on these things. What is true is you are not that guy who had no self-control. You are not that girl who couldn't say no to that purchase. Think right and then choose to do right. It's in the moment that you do right that God's Spirit comes along and helps you to live right. Okay? All right. Well, let's talk thirdly about the practices of purity. These principles are so important, but we need some practices. We need to have some ways of putting this into practice. I simplified it over this whole passage with, I think, about three different thoughts. Um, See if they come up for us. The principles, the practices of purity. Number one, stay clear. Or the, oh, yeah, I changed it. The path to purity. That's better, isn't it? The path to purity. Number one, stay, uh, stay, uh, stay clear. Listen to these texts in, in verse, throughout this section. Verse 3, not a hint of sexual immorality. Verse 11, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds. Verse 12, it is shameful even to mention. Verse 15, be very careful. You see, God has created us as human beings who love to create and to have and to, and to enjoy the good things of the creation. That quickly turns into creation, or into materialism, consumerism. It's a dangerous place, but it's what God made us to be. Got to stay clear of the problem. God has created us and crafted us as people who, uh, who are, are passionate creatures, and he meant for that to be the case. These are not the inventions of the evil one. They're part of the gift of the, of the God of the universe. But we need to be very careful of all the, um, all the perversions of those realities, you know, so that's why he says, not a hint, have nothing to do. Shameful even to mention, be very careful. When it comes to issues of these sexual uh, tangents or these materialistic tangents, be very, very careful. There are some days you just should not go into the store because you don't have the money. You just should not go. There are some days you should um, not even, there have been days, to be perfectly candid, when I have just not turned on my computer because I knew it wasn't a day for me to do that. Stay clear. That doesn't mean you always have to. Of course, you have a life to live. But there's sometimes. I remember once going into a hotel room. I may have told you this once before by myself and ending up and being there and knowing it was just not a safe place for me to be. And the first thing that I did was a small boutique hotel as I unplugged the cable that went from the TV to the, to the wall. And I took it to the front desk and I said, you know, this is, it's better if this is not in my room right now. I just had to do it because I knew that if I didn't, I would spend time watching TV shows I shouldn't have been watching. Okay, stay clear. So don't go shopping if you don't have the money. Know your limitations. Limit your sexual exposure. You know, and, and notice how these all have tentacles into your life. Print ads and commercials, the kind of movies, all these influence the way that you think. They teach you... Um, to look at for your own gratification. So stay clear. Make good boundaries. Make good boundaries. Be very clear. Do it for the sake of being the man or woman that God created you to be. Don't become a prude. Don't say you can't enjoy life. 
But see, I enjoy life too much to let these things get in the way of true enjoyment. Stay clear. Secondly, stay centered. Stay centered. Um, stay centered. Verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. I like that phrase, verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. Focus on pleasing God. See, the problem with consumerism or materialism and sensualities, uh, impurity, is they're all very selfish in focus. I want something because it'll make me feel good. I want to own that car. I want to own that thing. I want to have that. I want to, I want to have those feelings. I want to, and it's all very self-focused. He's saying, no, 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 that's the children of darkness. Find out what pleases the Lord. Live with an outward focus. Turn your focus on Christ. Keep centered. Stay focused on that. Stay focused on Him. And you won't be able to do that unless you practice the third one, which is to stay connected. Stay connected. I suggest you stay connected to three different things. To the Spirit of God, to the community of Christ, and to the worship of the community. To the Spirit, to the community, and to worship. Look at Ephesians 5, 18. Do not get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You see, the reason you don't have to live like the rest of the world is because you have the Holy Spirit within you. The light of the Holy Spirit of God is within you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means you've got to let go of all the stuff that gets in the way, but you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Surrender your life to the Spirit of God. Count on the Spirit of God to help you. Obey the promptings and the inklings that He gives to you. Okay? Um, verse, uh, also to the community, verse 19 and following says, Do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual, speaking to one another. And then verse uh, um, 21, submitting to one another. You see, we're not meant to navigate our way through this all alone. We're social creatures, and we're, intent, we're supposed to have the community to help us. We're supposed to, this is a, a path we're walking together, which is why I take the risk in our setting to tell you the truth about my life, because we're not meant to be lone rangers in this. In fact, we're far too secretive about this. You know, we struggle. We need the help of other people. Sometimes they need to kick us in the pants and say, who are you kidding? Other times they need to put their arms around us and say, I know that feeling. I've been there, you see. It's imperative that we live this life together. And then to worship, notice it says, make music in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father. You see, the problem with money and sex is they so easily become objects of worship. And there's only one object of worship which sets us free, and that's God. We serve a God who is willing to uh, create us with this kind of personality so that we could enjoy life and enjoy the things that life gives to us without becoming consumed by them. You see, we will continually forget who we are unless we are regularly reminded. I said, remember, you were, you are, live as i got to keep pounding that into my heart every day. I was, I am, I will. I was, I am, I will. You see? I was lost. I am forgiven by God. I will live like the new creation. You see? 
live like that. I need that reminder. I need brothers and sisters to help me live that reality. I need to gather for worship to remind me of that so that we can live like children of light in a crooked generation. We will be sucked in by the materialism and the essentialism of our culture unless we are exposed to the light. We need it for wisdom, for power, and for forgiveness when we fail. Because trust me, when it comes to these issues, we'll fail too. That's why we always come back to the table of the Lord. When we remind that the God whom we rejected is the God who came to us in Jesus. So let's close our time together by reflecting on the powerful, forgiving, loving acts of Jesus Christ so that we can say, yeah, I was lost. I am found. I will live like I belong to Jesus. Let's depend on His Spirit to help us. Let's have prayer before we have have the Lord's Supper together. Father, teach us what it means to live like children of light. Help us to experience the freedom and joy that comes from those truths. And may we become not critical or judgmental of others, but help us to humbly remember that it's only by your grace. It's nothing about us. We're sinners. But we have a Savior who loved us and who loves this world and who loves us enough to change us. We want to live like your people. Use the Lord's Supper this morning to remind us that no matter where we've been in these areas, there's always forgiveness and a starting over. In Jesus' name, amen.